The Accounting Insider with Kim Nitschke. Welcome back to Accounting Insider. I'm Andrew Montessi with Kim Nitschke. And Kim, we've had a bit of Q&A from um, one of your many fans out there. And maybe I should just touch on um, the analytics of Accounting Insider where you've got listeners in Adelaide, Brisbane, Perth, Ho Chi Minh, Hanoi, Cambodia, the United States of America. Um, the Nitschke name, Accounting Insider, I think you're going viral. It's <laughs> an exaggeration. <laughs> but we do have a question, and that is in all seriousness. And the question is from Lee, who makes a good point in that, so you build up wealth in property. You might be hitting the sort of multi-million dollar mark in terms of the value of your property. You've got a heck of a lot of debt there though. So what happens now? You've built up all this property, you've built up this wealth, what's next? Good question, Lee. Thanks, okay. Lee. <laughs> Thank you, Lee. <laughs> Love the questions, Lee, keep them coming. Uh, what we're going to be doing is, we're, we're finding that our asset portfolio is worth, let's just pick a number out of the air, but let's say it's worth five million and our debt's only one million. So, the world is our oyster. You're laughing, Lee. You are laughing. <laughs> So you've got, the, the, the aim of the game really is um, retire as soon as you can and as well as you possibly can on the highest level of income. Now, we'd need to look at each portfolio on a case-by-case um, -case basis, but what you're going to find is if your rents are going to sustain your um, level of income, sorry, your standard of living, then you don't have to sell anything. However... If you need to start eating into your capital to fund your update, to, it's normally updating cars and overseas holidays. Usually the day-to-day -day, um, household bills are covered by um, whatever income stream you've got, whether it's from rents from residential properties or rents from commercial properties. Rents from commercial properties, as you would have learned from the last episode, usually by that point in time are really, uh, really, really strong and significant. So what you can do is you can basically live off the rent at that point or you can sell a property or maybe a couple of properties, pay some tax on those properties. Now, one other thing to bear in mind is if you've got a commercial property and it is your office that you've been renting by your business for 15 years, it's capital gains tax free. So there is no tax. So you could sell your office off and not pay anything in tax, right? So then you could start to quite comfortably knowing that the average lifespan is 85 years and you're retiring at 65 you've got 20 years to chew up all the capital and I like to think that when I'm 85 my last check is going to bounce right mm. <laughs> probably won't <laughs> it'd be nice <laughs> to add something onto your kids but if I've given them a good education and maybe yeah. a deposit for their house and um, you know just set them up like that that's all they need really yeah. But it'd be nice have to you, have something there as well. Have you had this chat with the kids yet? Are they old enough to understand young, that you're going to burn young, them when you're 85? Young. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I guess uh, there's one more option, um, which is, let me just look at my notes here. Um, oh, yeah, of course. You could borrow against the equity that you've got in those properties. So you could ring up your bank manager and say, right, properties are going well. I need some money. I've got plenty of... Um, gap between what, what the market value of my properties are and what my debt is. Dear Mr. Bank Manager, can you please lend me enough for whatever I need, the overseas holiday or the car? And what's he going to say? 
Absolutely. You probably at that point have to justify that you've got enough cash flow to service the interest on that sort of um, loan, but that's probably not a problem at that at that point. So I assume you, you know, as you're going through this process, you'd want to have a pretty sweet little plan about your goals, oh, yeah. where you want to be, how you're going to do it. Yeah. Now it's very important to constantly be monitoring how you're going and where you you know where you want to end up. Usually you do it in Excel. I do a 10-year budget, sit down, map all my um, major costs that are on the horizon on that spreadsheet and just um, put in uh, what sort of growth I'm going to get in my accountancy practice, what sort of growth mm. I'm going to get in my rents and keep it all pretty simple so that it all fits on one A4 page. I, I found I did the really same well. thing and I put like year two, win lotto, <laughs> year three, get inheritance from a great aunt that I didn't know. Um, <laughs> I think, but that's just me. Yeah. Well, you know the number of people you bump into, and they're buying lottery tickets now. The chance of winning lotto is a million to one, something like that. You do hear of those people every now and then. Good luck to them. But it's not for me. I don't buy any lottery lottery tickets. I'm trying to create my own across lotto. But you do read books. I do read and books. Very early on in Accounting Insider, we spoke about your favourite book, uh, Seven Steps to Wealth. It's had a significant influence on you and how you went about things. And um, are you getting paid for this promotion of this book, by the way? I'm Surely not. I, I, I need to meet the author, though. It's Johnny, genuine. Johnny Fitzgerald. I've got a photo in front of me. This book, I'm, I've got the fourth edition. I went out and bought it because I haven't read it for about four or five years. I'd memorized it. But I am reading it again now and I'm picking up really useful information out of it. But it's quite interesting because he's, he's done a follow-up book 10 years later and I've read that which is called Accelerated Steps to Wealth mm. and he looks about twice as old. Like, <laughs> isn't that this beautiful baby face on the front cover? There? <laughs> so maybe the seven steps to wealth haven't been as easy as what he <laughs> envisaged. But anyway, there's a few key points, um, particularly about property. Uh, land goes up, buildings go down. Yes. Now, this is beginning of chapter four. Buy land for capital growth. You're not going to read it. No, no, I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to read it. I've memorized it. But in a nutshell, it's basically saying stay away from the units, townhouses, get houses. Where were you a few years ago when I bought my townhouse? But anyway, (laughs) we'll discuss that. No, no, it's fine. Well, I made the same mistakes, but I didn't buy the book. You've got to buy the book. Got to read the book. Then you don't make the mistake. (laughs) <laughs> Look, where would we be if we didn't have Johnny Fitzgerald? Yeah. So after that, I didn't buy any more units and townhouses because I realised land goes up, buildings go down. So when I get this phone call at least once a week, Kim, I found this great property and I'm going to bulldoze it and build something, a brand new house on it. Well, how would that line up with what we're learning from the book? It'd be a disaster, wouldn't it? Mm. Every cent that you're spending on the building you're going to lose money on because it's going to go down in value. Mm. Whereas the land, sure, that'll go up. But so it's always best to basically buy that block of land with the old house, the knockdown job, give it a little tissy up, put some tenants in there. You can't go wrong. And that's why you love your renos, clearly. That's right. And he also goes on to say that you want to be pretty close to the CBD because a number of factors, but, uh, you know, over the long term um in in a city suburbs don't generally drop off in value or anything like that they're they're the last ones if if there's a property downturn they're the last ones to go down 
And point two, maximize rents. Yes, now this is quite interesting because all he's saying there is you want to steer away from situations where you've got it empty, right? Mm. So you want to rent it for as much of the time um, and bring in the returns. Now, he's also making a really valid point in this chapter that it doesn't mean charging 10% more than everyone else. In fact, he goes so far as to say charge 10% less than everyone else so that your tenants never leave and your rent just keeps Mm. flowing in all the time. And obviously, too, when your tenant moves out, you've got to spend a hell of a lot of money on renos, giving it a facelift and restoring it to its former glory when it was when they first moved in. The tenants obviously don't have to pay that, but um, that knocks the hell out of your cash flow. So you want to keep them in there for as long as you possibly can. If uh, um, an old friend of mine said to me once that whenever tenants were moving into his properties, he kept the rent constant for as long as they were in there, never increased it. And he was getting tenants in there for six, seven, eight years. I think his record was 12 years. And that's gold. Because mm. even though you think you're missing out on the rent, you know, it's set and forget. You never hear from them. You're never around there repairing. We might be doing the odd repair, but on the whole, they're, they're happy tenants and yeah. you, they're paying your mortgage for you. Beautiful. Point three, minimize tax. Yes. Now, there's a couple of tricks in this. Now, if you buy property between 1985 and 1987, you get double depreciation on the building like a and don't forget depreciation is um, an allowance that you're allowed in your tax return it doesn't cost you any money but you're allowed to claim depreciation as an expense for the fact that the building is going down in value now he's saying that if you buy in this particular period you get around four percent depreciation on the building which is quite significant So the building had to have been built in that period anything prior to that you get no depreciation and after that date, you get half the depreciation. So he's saying stick to that period. Now, that's really hard. I've tried going shopping. Yeah, I was going to say, none of those are out. Anyone who's reading Seven Steps to Wealth is just all over those. No, but with these books, you've got to take them with a, you know, a, yeah. a, a grain of salt. What He's making a valid point. What he's saying is claim as much depreciation as you can. If you can get them in that period, great. But I've never been able to jag them in there. So I still get my depreciation, but at half the rate... But you also, and a lot of people, a lot of property investors still to this day, don't go out and get quantity surveyor reports. So you need to get basically an engineer to go through and do an inspection on your house, costs about 550 bucks, and then they come back to you with how much you can claim legitimately, and the tax office accepts these reports from these blokes, uh, legitimately claim every year um, during the ownership of the property. And so your depreciation, once you've got one of these reports, normally is much higher than you would have otherwise claimed so that's a a, a really um it's a really clever idea and you know all astute property investors get these depreciation reports on their property okay and is there anything else that is perhaps not i don't know if it necessarily just out of this favorite book of yours but was there anything else that influenced you in property that um someone might have said or i don't know was there anything else that really influenced you before you really started ripping into this stuff uh well i guess you know you can't get wealthy on an hourly rate so my mindset's always been you've got to have something on the side that's making money while you're sleeping Mm. so i've always known that prop it was either going to be 
going down the shares route or the property route. Mm. I like the property route because um, you can, you know, you put in fifty, hundred thousand dollars, and you can borrow five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars. You can't really get that same mm. um, level of amount of money to invest from a bank in regards to shares. So I thought that just on that alone is going to get you a lot better return on your money um, going down the property track. So then once I decided that, uh, and obviously the first couple of properties I bought were disasters, but I got better at it as, mm. as, as I went along. And you know, with this book, that's been a key in, in um, pointing me in the right direction, giving me plenty of pointers to do it the right way. And as mm. you get better and better at it, you refine your craft. You get cleverer and cleverer, and and you find that, you know, in your properties four, five, six, and seven, you're making more and more on each one as you go along, mm. because your level of expertise and experience is not luck. This is this is education. People who are doing what we're saying um, have got a skill there, and they're they're constantly refining and improving that skill. It's mm, good. I've got to go. I've got um, an appointment with my real estate agent. I've got to sell my townhouse, sort of ASAP. I've got to get rid of that thing. So thanks, mate. But um, we're going to continue these discussions with this podcast that is Accounting Insider. Hit us up on our website, accountinginsider.net. That's where you connect with Kim. That's where all the details are. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Accounting Insider Podcast with Kim Nitschke. 